Hello and welcome to Let's Have a Chat About Murder. As you can see, this is a uh, new sort of podcast that I'm doing as an extra, really, to the ones that I put up on a Wednesday and uh, Friday. Now, this case, I have to say, is one of the reasons why I've done it, because I've done John Wayne Gacy, as many of you have listened to and also seen on Murder Analyzed. But when I was writing the Gacy case, I mean, you're talking about 40, 50 pages, you know, and I had to limit it really to that, the information that was around. So when I decided to do Gacy as a case, I only really looked at why maybe he had done it, his, you know, how much sort of you could put into one video, which was over an hour long. If I'd done this whole case on Gacy, I think it would have been four hours long, which is terrible for uploads, to tell you the truth. As many of you know, um, when you're uploading um, footage in, in video, it can take hours to upload anyway. And I wanted to bring more to um, Let's Have a Chat About Murder, because that's really what it is, isn't it? We're talking about different murderers and stuff like that. And I felt that the way to do that was to add parts to it. So with this case, when we're talking about John Wayne Gacy, the second part, the bits that I couldn't really fit in, and to tell you the truth, I can't fit everything in even to this. It would take ages. So I wanted to make sure that I got the extra bits in about the unknown victims, about this paedophile ring that he was linked to, you know, um, how he was inspired by the Candyman and, and stuff like that, this Dean Coral. Now, the, the, there's so much about Gacy that's still unknown. Really, you know, when they executed him in uh, the 90s, there was so much more, and he was trying to say there was other people involved in these murders. He was trying to say that. And you could say, was he passing the buck? It could have been. I mean, the thing is with serial killers, they're usually bloody liars as well when you think about it. You know, they're, they're never truthful. But I do believe that there is more victims of Gacy I do believe he was linked to the paedophile ring. That is clear, actually, I think, by um, what's been written so far about him. And as that people still investigate, I mean, the Gacy case is still really ongoing, really, for, for, for many, many reasons. Also, some of the people that work for him were also linked to um, other people. And, uh, you know, so there's lots about Gacy that's still not there so this is all theories I think based on sort of evidence circumstantial evidence should I say but there is clear links I think if you want to put it that way so it's really important that when we look at these cases that we look at them in the full length you know in, in, in their entirety because to give you some you know indication of just how bad these people are uh, and especially the people that he was linked to. Now, the other person that we're going to mention in this case um, is John David Norman. Now, <laughs> that's a case in itself, really, but we will be briefly bringing him into it because, really, he was the paedophile of all paedophiles, and he did ring, run this you know, sex ring um, right across America, into Europe and Canada. This is this really serious man, and there is links between him... There is links between Gacy, him, and one of Gacy's employees, which was this man's right-hand man, really. And so 
when Gacy tries to tell you about there were other people involved in this case, this Philip, Philip um, um, Pasks, he, he was involved, or, or allegedly involved, but he certainly was involved with um, John David Norman. So this case is complicated, I suppose, when we look at, you know, what's going on in the 70s in America. You, you know, there's, there's so much going on. And to tell you the truth, it still goes on today. It's just, you know, beneath the surface now. It's more on the dark web, um, where before they didn't have that. And so it was put in newspaper ads and different stuff like that, which attracted paedophiles to this sort of organisation, should you say. Because I think when we look at the victims, there were so many from all these victims, same ages, same sort of victims when we look at the victimology of it they're all very similar and they're all linked I think just even through that they're linked so listen I hope you enjoy it this is the first separate um podcast that will not be on murder analyzed uh, or any or any other uh, channels that I run this is specifically for you so grab yourself a coffee and let's have a chat about murder so let's start so I suppose it has been decades hasn't it really since you know um, this needle containing this lethal injection, you know, this cocktail of chemicals that was put into this chubby arm of this John Wayne Gacy, you know, this clown killer. Um, and, you know, to tell you the truth, it needed to be. He needed to um, have that done. He, he, I think in the end he wanted it done. But as I said, before he was, uh, the time was coming, he was trying to say, hang on a minute, there is more, there is a lot more to this than what you know. And there's a lot of detectives still out there you know, um, that are looking into this case even today. So this, you know, Chicago-born mass murderer responsible for sexual torture and murder of 33 young men and boys um, was dead. And that was it. You know, people think that's it. It's over. That was all there was. You know, he, and I think Gacy, you know, terrorised, didn't he, Chicago, really, until 1978. And, you know, and... I think when we look at his victims, the ones that were found under his crawl space in his um, home and then the ones he dumped in the river, there is really a retired detective out there and it's um, Raphael um, Trevor and he was convinced that there was more victims and he also said that Gacy had actually told him there was more victims out there. And, it, and he even says, you know, can you honestly believe um, that this man had this gap of a few years because there was a few years when he was not active it was very unusual for a serial killer like him in them that time to have three or four years gap they're usually doing something so what this detective was trying to say is well you know maybe the crawl space under the house was only one part of um you know where he used to dump his bodies where did he dump them before that where were these bodies it's, it's very unusual that this killers like this really um stop killing so it says he says it really sounds like there's more about 45 sounds a good number and i think gacy said that as well but he really couldn't remember because he just killed so many so i think the 1970s uh he went around this case, he didn't he, and he hunted for these young men, they were hitchhikers, 
They were picked up from bus stops. They were picked up really from the street. And I think, as he says, the murders, the first murder, he stabbed Timothy uh, Jack McCoy to death after picking him up from this Greyhound bus station. Now, this is where he picked up a lot of these kids, to tell you the truth. He did. But from 1972 to 1975, there were no records of Gacy's murders. Now, this is the period of time where they feel that there was more um, bodies and that his methodology, really, of hunting and um, disposing of these bodies had changed or was the first before he went under his um, house and buried, you know, the floorboards and buried these kids. So I suppose the question is, from 1972 to 1975, either he didn't kill or he must have improved his dump sites, right? So what is it? I don't think someone like Gacy, the killer he was, didn't kill between 1972 and 1975. I actually believe this detective and thinking, yeah, there was many, many more, probably more than 45. And he'd used other dump sites or he'd been mixed in with this, um, this Norman man where they were killing kids in different areas and using different dump sites or they were selling these kids on to be trafficked and then to be murdered. So if that's the case, all his crimes may not have been committed in Chicago area. They would have been in lots of different areas around America. And this is and in different states. And I think this is an um, interesting fact, really, when you think about it, where this detective believes and also that this is what Gacy was trying to say. I think what they've said, he was inspired by the Candyman. Now, um, Dean R. Arnold um, Carell, now he was born December 24th, 1939, and he died on 8th of August, 1973, and he was actually killed by some victims and also killed by some accomplices he was with. You know, he was an American serial killer and um, who abducted, raped and tortured, murdered a minimum of about 28 uh, young boys and men between 1970 and 1973 and they're saying that Gacy this was sort of his hero he really um, you know thought there was this man was great because his kills were very very the same actually nearly exactly the same as um, the Candyman or we call him the Candyman this Dean now he also had accomplices he had young boys that he had met and groomed and stuff and brought them in and really to help him kill. And again, he picked his victims up from different areas, bus stations, this and the other. Now, his crimes became known as the Houston, he was a Houston, Houston mass murderer, came to light after really he was shot. So he was getting away with murder for many, many years. Now, these are the only the crimes they know about. These are where this accomplice has told what was going on. But whether he killed before this is unknown. But he killed 28 teenage boys, but very, very similar. Not even, you could say, exact to Gacy. So we don't know if he was linked in any way to this man as such, but he certainly did um, copy this man. Absolutely, he copied this man. 
but also that it said that this um, Dean, this candy man, was also linked to this Norman, this paedophile of all paedophiles, the one that was, you know, running this, um, you know, sex ring and, and everything, and also getting children for other paedophiles to murder. And they say that this candy man was one of them sort of um, people that used this site facility, if you want to say, um, of Normans to also get kids to kill. So it's linked through that. Now how Norman and Gacy are linked is by some ads that were put in the paper that sort of, that's how they used to, you know, sort of advertise what they did, you know. Strange really when you think about it now. I mean, if these people were living today and were had the internet and the stuff, the technology we had today, oh my God, these people would be so dangerous when you think about it, of how bad they was in them days to how bad they could be now. And believe it, this still goes on. So when we look at all this, these people and we look at the paedophile rings, we look at the sex trafficking rings, we look at the murder rings really because a lot of these children were abducted and sold to different paedophiles and killers to be tortured and killed so i that i believe is true so this is what links all three of these people together these in their own right are deadly people alone but when you put these sort of people together it makes them i think some of the worst crimes in history really and i think when we look at gacy and what he did and his people he had working for him and one of them was had close links to Norman there is no doubt that that link is true there's no doubt it's unfortunate I think that someone like Gacy was um, executed so early because I think if people had listened to what he was trying to say throughout the time that he was waiting on death row a lot of these people would have been arrested a lot sooner and a lot of this would have been able to be put together um, where we're not theorising that we would actually really know what happened. So I think with Gacy, yes, he did have other, kill, you know, other kills, many, many more. I don't think he worked alone on all the kills and I've said that in my first video. I don't believe he did. I do believe he had other dump sites without a doubt and I do believe he was in this paedophile ring and many people um, even today are in paedophile rings and uh, sex trafficking rings um, they always will be they sort of you know gather together it, it's sort of like they know um, you know there must be something about them that you know they know but this was also done by advertising in a newspaper certain ads that had sort of keywords in these ads that either attracted children or attracted paedophiles to them. I mean, this man um, was bad, Gacy, but Norman, I think, was probably even worse. So, John David Norman began his criminal career in Houston, where he was arrested in 1954 and 1956 for child molestation. His next arrest was in California in 1963 
and for sexual assault and he began and I think that began in 1969 for distribution of obscene materials and he was sentenced then to 16 months in prison for that by 1973 this is the time now of Gacy and um, the Candyman sort of was going around Norman was running a child prostitution ring called the Odyssey Foundation this was covered in the United States, uh, major Canadian cities, parts of Europe. Norman used um, to mail forwarding addresses based in San Diego to reach out to his customers uh, through um, a base of operations that was located in Dallas. So here's the other states coming in. We've got Chicago, Dallas and other states now coming in. Norman did not really rely on ads alone. He had searched for potential victims in bus stations, arcades. His, his victims were usually runaways. Very similar to Gacy. Very similar. And actually also to the Candyman. So in August 1973, Norman brought 21-year-old male prostitute called Charles Benzine to Dallas for one of his clients. Now while in Norman's apartment... Um, this Charles found photos of boys with the word kill written on them. So due to these reports of this, you know, mass murderer um, or murder in Houston, Charles, this young lad, this 21-year-old, became terrified as he has responded actually to Norman's dad to call the FBI and that's what he did. So this is how things come out. So then the um, FBI contacted Dallas police who on August the 14th raided Norman's business to which they found index cards around 5 to 10 percent of those were names of um, and physical descriptions of the boys in Norman's network aged between 13 and 19. The remainder were clients his um, filing system separated the clients into three categories using colour-coded system using a, um, a set of colours you know sort of like indicating really the individuals received pamphlets through the mail so blue would indicate that the individuals had contacted Norman by phone expressing their interest in meeting boys green ind indicated the um, individual was running a child stable generally um you know in an apartment building or somewhere like that so they had their own sort of run so this is where he would use them contacts of, of the green to get other um boys in so i mean you know they they found all this stuff right they found all these color cards and we sort of you know these greens and these blues and indicated didn't they what these people want some already had children to sell and get rid of and use they were all already their own paedophile rings and the blues you know um were paedophiles or you know sexual offenders that would contact him so after this boy went to the fbi and stuff this man was then put out wasn't he on on bail of course he's 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 gone. He, he ain't going to stay around, is he? This bloke. So he's changed his name to this Steve Gunwell, and he flees then to Illinois. And of course, he knows a lot of people 
because he's got a lot of clients, if we look at his 50,000 index cards that he had on different paedophiles and also on um, kids that he had uh, used and sold to these people, um, he was harboured then really by, you know, accomplices and um, people like that. So I think when he was in Illinois, he started to, um, he had this apartment where he was hiding out, but he couldn't help himself. And he had lured about 10 young lads back to this apartment. And um, I think he abused them. He sexually assaulted them, um, or as many as he could, actually, he sexually assaulted. And he was charged at that point because they, of course, reported it. And then he was charged with six counts of taking indecent liberties with a child, and things to minors, really, and deviant sexual assault. He was actual a vicious, vicious man, this. These boys aged, aged between 13 and 14. Um, that's the sort of age he liked. But this man was so awful. Really, really awful. Now, the police also found in this apartment that he was being, you know, looked after and protected, hidden by these people. Another 2,000 index cards. So don't forget they found 50,000 index cards in the first property when he was then charged and released out on bail and as he's then done a runner they've now in this time that he's been on this run he's also made now another 2,000 index cards really it, it's just really terrible isn't it so I think once then he was actually then um, he was I think locked up in Cook County Jail Norma began a new sex trafficking ring called the Delta Project. He established a newsletter to advertise his services and appealed for, for donations for his bow. So now we're talking about, oh, haven't we? We've got this man, a paedophile, a killer, really, who is using and abusing children, selling children all over the country, really, including Europe and Canada and everywhere else, all different states of America. He's got all these people he he now wants money to help him get his bail money to get him out and of course they come up with it so he spent 16 hours a day uh, writing to clients um, the scheme he had coordinated was a string of child stables pimps could house two to four boys inside each house um, and that was signed really onto his network so you would join his network you would say, okay, I'm going to have between two and four boys in my property, what they call these stables for these kids, which would have been treated terrible. And then them children would be abused or resold or murdered from these properties. How bloody shocking, really, when you think about it. I mean, we have some cases, don't we, and I've wrote about them already, where we have them that they've made their paedophile manuals and all this sort of stuff. But when we look at the depravity of this man and Gacy was involved in this sort of stuff as well. It's really, really shocking, isn't it? So the boys were referred to as um, candidates and the houses as Delta dorms. Very organized. So when we talk about crimes against children and offenses against children, now, you know, in today, in 2022, but we look at the detail that these went into, these paedophiles went into in the 70s. It just makes you think, if how bad is it really now? 
you know, it, it's not changed. All it's changed is the technology, really. So how easy was it in them days to set these things up through leaflets and ads and stuff and get these people not only to pay you but to, you know, house these kids and God knows what else. What really is the state of offences against children now when we look at the dark web? This is what you're dealing with now, I think, but on a bigger scale. It's really, really worrying, isn't it, really, when you look back, and this was the 70s, you know, shocking, really. Um, so, listen, Bailey's bow was paid from one of his clients and became affiliated with the man behind the Boys Love magazine. Um, names um, Herms, but Norman eventually convicted of child molestation, charged, charged, charges, from um, Homewood, Illinois, and sentenced to four years and four months. You know, four years and four months, it's just, you know, this is America, and I usually am, you know, happy with American sentences. This is what we would expect in the UK, these sort of sentences for these people. But we're talking about the 70s, aren't we, where they really didn't investigate, I think, the full impact of what was really going on here. So in June 1978, Norman was arrested again, and once again, police seized thousands of index cards containing personal information on clients through um, pink index cards. Now, this is where this Philip um, Pask comes into it. Now, he was arrested while he was in Norman's Chicago apartment for, fo uh, for photographing and molesting two minors. Now, this was the person, this Philip, that worked for John Wayne Gacy. So this is now what links these people, these, these, this group, to him as well. Because he was also Gacy's right-hand man. And this is also one of the people that Gacy said had also committed murders. That's what was alleged to have been said. And also I think this is what a lot of these investigators have thought about this, with this man. So uh, Norman renamed the Delta Project then <laughs> the Creative Core. You know, I mean, gosh, this man. And then the mailer was named um, the Mail Cell. So he was in the process of pimping out two boys to a man in Canada when police raided his apartment. So in 1973 in Texas, he forwarded 50,000 index cards they seized from Norman's Norman in Dallas, um, and, the, and that is the State Department of Washington, D.C. After Norman's latest arrest in Illinois, detective in Chicago called the State Department in order to review these cards so they could compare the evidence to the investigation of Norman's clients. Much to their surprise, though, the detectives were told that the State, the State Department no longer had these index cards. News reporters from Chicago Tribute called the State Department to ask what happened to this evidence. They were told that all 50,000 index cards had been shredded because the State Department could not find any evidence. Now, bit of a cover-up, <laughs> I think, really, when you look at it, isn't it? Really? So, all these index cards with all these clients' name, 
details but not only that 50,000 cards some many of which thousands of which would have been index cards describing the victims and where they had gone who they had gone to all of a sudden has disappeared so this is why Gacy found it difficult to prove that he was linked or this man was linked or this um, you know uh, person this Philip uh, Pask was linked to these murders because evidence had been destroyed that could have opened this case up to what it really was and this case was really when you think it was an absolutely massive paedophile ring that I don't think America has ever seen really and so it just you know you have to think why why would they shred 50,000 cards why would they with all this important information on it it was color coded it was easily read there was descriptions some of the cards had um kill wrote across the victim's name so they had the names of these unknown victims they had them and they were destroyed it's shocking really isn't it anyway norman was released from prison in 1982 and in february he was arrested then in denver for soliciting a child for sex fleeing colorado norman ended up in rural pennsylvania under the alias of clarence eugene jr norman set up a shop in a rural and <laughs> a rural motel this man just doesn't stop does he but i think when you think of everything this man's done and then you know he's out in 1982 he's still going there are still many many children now being affected by this gacy at that time is caught no one's really listening to him he was put to death quite quickly he was only on death row for about 10 years you know he was um 10 or 15 years something like that not long really when you think about it but this man and these others were still free to go about their business so let's look at this John Wayne Gacy, this American serial killer. You know, um, now he killed from January 1972 to December 1978. He raped and tortured 33 young men, teenagers and boys in Chicago, Illinois. And he was executed by lethal injection in, on the 10th of December 1994. So that's basically it, isn't it, with John Wayne Gacy. Everyone thought he's gone, that's it, it's, it's finished. So it was widely speculated that Gacy had accomplices due to um, being out of the straight state on several of his when several of his victims went missing, and the surviving victims of Jeffrey Rignall being um, that there was someone else in the house at the time that he was being tortured. So we know now by Jeffrey's um, sort of you know, the only surviving victim or, or one we, we know of, really, because a lot of kids in them days didn't come forward, even if they did. So he was being tortured, but he did say that there was someone else in that property at the time of him being tortured. Now, Gacy ran a construction company called this PMDM, and people speculated that his employer, Michael Rossi, and David Cram were also his accomplices, and this Philip Pask who helped John Norman run this Delta Project sex trafficking ring, was one of Gacy's employees being um, brought in by David Cram. Um, but, you know, but they were all acquaintances, weren't they? Um, 
I think it's led to the theories that Gacy and Norman were working together. And this is where this whole theory comes from. But I think when you actually look at the victimology here and what else happened, and, you know, there's a lots of times when Gacy wasn't in the state that other kids went missing. I think there is a clear link here. I really do. So when Gacy was pleading his innocence for um, in an interview, he named Norman Pask, Rossi and Cram as one um, as the ones responsible for the deaths of the men and teenage boys. I don't believe that. I don't believe that um, he didn't do that. I don't know if the others helped him do it, but he certainly wasn't innocent then. So when Gacy pleaded his innocence in this interview, he named Norman Pask, Rossi and Cram as the ones responsible for the deaths of these men. Now, you know, Gacy was a killer, right? He was. But there are theories that he says that he really he didn't know Norman, right? He also says, or Norman, um, this terrible man. And he said, I've yet to see a current photo of him. So I, it's difficult, isn't it, to believe? Because as I said, serial killers are serial liars as well. But I do believe there's something in this. But I think there's a lot of theories that Gacy was also meant to be set up and take the blame for all these crimes, which frees these people. And when you look at the outcome of Gacy's case, and you look at the outcome and the destroying of 50,000 index cards of evidence of Norman and his paedophile ring and stuff like that, that's exactly what happened, isn't it, really, when you think about it. So I'm not saying Gacy wasn't a killer. I'm saying that Gacy was a killer with others. But whether he knew Norman or not, they made sure that he took the blame. This is what people are trying, the fear is that people are trying to say. So these are the sort of people that were still out doing their business after Gacy was incarcerated and then eventually was executed so there's a lot to more to Gacy's case there's a lot more to the unknown victims there's a lot more to the accomplices that he may or may not have had there's a lot more to um you know the um all the killers named in this really when you think about it when you think about these killers you know um, Dean Coral and and um serial killer that was around from 1970 to 1973 he was known to sort of use these sort of sites to get these boys um he's killing killing spree of 28 boys of what we know of then we have um norman who really when you think about is probably the worst of the worst because you know there, there, there was no limits to what this man would do to these children and no limits to what he would do to make money and to help other paedophiles and other sex rings, you know, or stables, as they want to call them, because that's what they think these kids are as animals. They don't treat them like children because they're there for one thing only, to be used and abused and then either murdered or sold on uh, until they're not old enough. Or they're there to be groomed to make the next load come up so they can get more children. This is how it sort of works when we talk about paedophile rings. And it's really shocking, isn't it, when you think, you know, um, 
how long Gacy tried to say stuff to different investigators and stuff, but it wasn't believed. He wasn't believed. I mean, really, when you think about this, this could have been one of the biggest cracked cases in the world if they had actually really looked into this, not destroyed evidence and everything else. Um, you know, they could have took down a lot of people here, thousands, thousands of people here, but they didn't. And we have to ask ourselves, why? why? Why didn't they? Why didn't they think that, you know, Norman and Gacy and all these other suspects within this case, you know, were worthy of a massive investigation that would have saved loads of children's lives? Listen, in addition, I think in addition to the teenagers being uh, believed to have been killed by Gacy were um, Kenneth Parker, Michael Mario, they were last seen alive close to where Norman lived. And they also, at that time, Gacy was also seen to be near them, near that area of Norman's apartment. So, as I said, Gacy was a serial killer, but Gacy was also a serial liar. So you can't believe everything. But I don't know if at first Gacy thought he wouldn't say anything, but then as time went on, and he couldn't do what he wanted to do anymore, he was incarcerated, he started then to say things about these others and say, hang on, it wasn't just me, it was others. And these others, when you look at them, really, are actually far worse than Gacy because they killed thousands. When you really look at it, and you look at these index cards, we're talking about kids going missing in their thousands and most of these kids will never ever be found. So we're not just talking about Chicago crime or Dallas crimes or we know we're talking about America states throughout America states, throughout Canada cities and states. We're also talking about Europe these people had reached to. You can't do that unless you have a network of people that allow you to do that. But then to lose that evidence, to have that evidence destroyed, to where there is no way back now to put in these cards together. You know, you know, they weren't that good in them days, these criminals, that they could, you know, it's not like we're now having to get through internet codes and stuff like that, you know, decoding stuff. These were just very simple, colour-coded, um, index cards handwritten it it would have been easy to really find out what happened to these children and also other perpetrators within this crime so this is shocking isn't it really when we look at this you know Gacy's case but more in depth into Gacy's case what it opens up what it makes you think about what was really going on then and probably potentially what is going on now just on a whole different level it really opens up your mind to just how depraved these people are and how they would take our children off the streets use them sell them murder them for just their own sexual gratification these people are evil people um you know 
What else can you say about these people apart from they are absolutely evil? But as I said, all serial killers are known to lie. All serial killers are manipulative people. And most serial killers, and especially when we look at serial killers that go for children, have escalated from molesting and, you know, raping and all this sort of stuff into serial killers. But they all sort of know each other within this sort of crime. There's links there to all these people because the victims were all Gacy's type. The victims of the Candyman were all the same sort of victims as Gacy and the victims of Norman were around the same age and type as well. They all took these children off the streets, all classed sort of as runaways, people that wouldn't be missed. You know, victimology, when you look at crime, the victims tell us a lot. But when we have the police and stuff in them days, you know, and so, you know, you know, services getting rid of evidence like that so it can never be looked at again, we have to ask ourselves why, why they would do that, you know, why they would do that anyway, to destroy any evidence that could have potentially have saved lives and put many, many people in prison. So anyway, this was the second part of the Gacy case, just a bit of more in-depth in information, I suppose. Not so much about his crimes, but about his links to other crimes and other potential, you know, people that worked with him, his connections to that and other people that may have killed these kids. But when you have a survivor of John Wayne Gacy telling you that there was someone else in that house. And also, don't forget that John Wayne Gacy used chloroform. He liked to knock them out. You know, what happened to these kids? Um, we'll never really know, will we? We'll never really know. But this boy was lucky to survive. But, yeah, I do believe him when he says there was someone else in that home. I, I think this is quite a sad case, sis, really, when we think about that we'll never, ever learn the truth. So, thank you for listening. Thank you for joining me on Let's Have a Chat About Murder. I love podcasting. I think it's so much easier. I can sit here, drink my coffee, have a chat, go over a few crimes. So, you're still going to get your two uploads a week what I upload onto Murder Analyze, but there's going to be a lot more cases also put specifically just for you on Let's Have a Chat About Murder. So, thanks for listening, and until the next time, bye-bye.